Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right, so um, I've been married to that beautiful lady for 23 and a half-ish years. Yeah, that, that's something uh, I'm pretty proud of. I'm really proud of that. Um, you wouldn't believe how much money it cost me to get her to come out and say that uh, she's my wife, though. She's like, that's his wife, his wife. Um, it cost pretty penny. Um, but anyway... I think back to our wedding, and it was a really, really, it was a great, great day. Like, I still have a lot, I don't remember much, I can't really remember what I did yesterday, but I remember a lot about that day, and it was, you know, before the age of social media, I mean, daggone, it was almost before the stinking internet, it wasn't quite that long ago, but I mean, it was just a really, really good day, and we had uh, a photographer who did a good job, and he was related to my wife, and um, uh, here's the thing. We had a lot of pictures. We had a big family. Uh, we had a lot of people in our wedding, thanks to my wife. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But we get through with our pictures. We get them all back. And this was back in the day of this was not digital, I don't think. I think this was all like, you know, whatever you do, like make pictures out of magic, you know, <laughs> developing. And uh, we get them back and we got pictures with our families. We got pictures with the groomsmen. We got pictures with the bride. We did not have one professional picture with just me and her. Yeah, that's a little bit of an oversight. Real nice, Clark. But I was like, I was, I was furious. And so back, this was like the early days of everybody being able to do uh, Photoshop. And I think it was my uncle who was really new into it, who took the picture and Photoshopped um, us together. So I guess maybe the preacher was, it was the one where it was just us and the preacher. And so he Photoshopped the uh, preacher out. And I guess we had our arms around each side of the preacher, the preacher standing in between us. And so they took him out. And so literally, now this was prophetic. Literally, they took him out, and it looks like, if you look really closely, you'll be, if you don't look closely, you'll be fooled. You'll just play, oh, that's a really good picture of you too. But what really looks like is she doesn't have an arm. It's just reaching into my chest. So we're like this, and she's like, Shh. And I was like, is there a pure picture of, of marriage? Just the woman just like, no, you know. You can take that in the good way and the bad way. She's got my heart, or she's got my heart. You know, I mean, Indiana Jones, you know, that kind of thing. But it was a great day, though. It was a great day. And, it, and I mean, she was beautiful. I can still imagine her coming down the aisle. We had, as I, had, as I said, I had uh, five groomsmen, I guess, six, including the, the best man, my dad. And um, I probably, I had, I had a lot of friends, but I was like, okay, that's a lot of guys I have up there. But she had six you know, attendance or whatever, and she had 137 junior bridesmaids. I mean, it was like, I don't know what it was. It was like the North Korean army was invaded. It was just like, I mean, it was, I mean, she had all this. She used to babysit growing up. She babysat for years. And so a lot of these girls were part of our church youth group. And so she was like, well, I want this little girl to be in there. And I want this little, and so she's like, okay, all the girls in the church, you know, I mean, come on up. And so, but it was, it was a really good day. And when we were leaving, we got in the car and they decorated our car, you know, like you always do as the, the bride and groom are leaving. And there was balloons all in the back seat, up past the windows. You could see them as we were driving away. And so we were driving away. We were looking at each other like, leaving 
and all of a sudden we just hear this little voice, this little noise. And we're like, what is that? It's like, we're going to Florida, right? And we're like, and we listen, we slow down, we stop, and we hear, I can't wait to go to Disney World. They had put a child underneath the balloons. There was a child laying in the floor of our car underneath the balloons. And it was this little girl that was our junior bridesmaid, one of the girls she babysat. And we're so old that she's a mom now. That's crazy. But she was laying in our back seat and she's like, I can't wait to go to Disney World. And I was like, you dummy, we ain't going to Disney World. We're just going to Florida. But I didn't say that. So we were a couple miles down the road. So we did the responsible thing and we put her outside with a dollar and said, find your way back home. That'll teach your parents to mess with us on our wedding day. That, no, I'm just kidding. We hadn't made it out of the parking lot. We got her out. They were chasing us down, whatever. But it was a good day. It was a good day. And, and marriage is a really good thing. It's a gift from God, but it's not always perfect. But God uses marriage, and we're going to get to that in just a second, to portray not just the relationship between a man and a woman, but a relationship between him and us. He uses that, that imagery of marriage. And we've been talking about all during this series, Twas the night before, we've talked about different things. we talked about hope and faith and peace and joy. And the whole idea has been this. If you didn't catch it or you hadn't been in for all of them, this is the basic general idea. Before Jesus came in the world, there wasn't really a lot of joy. I mean, there were. There were happy moments. Don't get me wrong. But the truest sense of joy wasn't there. There wasn't the truest sense of hope. There was some hope, but it was all looking forward to the true hope of Jesus and peace and so forth and so on. But then, as we've on, the, on this side of Jesus, and we're on the, the past side of Jesus, Jesus already come. He went to the cross. He rose from the grave. Even though we are, if we're, even if we're Christians, sometimes we don't have all the hope and the joy and the peace that we would like to have. We, won't, we don't have it all. So what we want to do is figure out how we make sure that we have the hope, the joy, the peace. But here's what we're talking about today. We've talked about all those biggies, but we're talking about probably the biggest one ever. And we're calling this one, "'Twas the night before Jesus returns." Because the truth is, is that he was promised to be coming before, and guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back. And sometimes, in the midst of waiting for him to come back, a lot of people will mock, and they'll be like, oh, see, he's not coming back. It's been 2,000 years. He is not coming back. If he was going to come back, he'd have already been back by now. And so a lot of people take that attitude, and even believers were like, I think he's coming back. I, you know, I don't know what it looks like. And so there's a lot of wrestling with that. But he's always, we talked about this a lot over these past few weeks, he's always been faithful in the past, and so we have no reason but to believe that he's going to be faithful in the future. Every single time God makes a promise, it has come true. So why would we start doubting him now? He's never broken a promise. So the question is this, what do we do until Jesus comes back? What do we do until Jesus comes back? What do we do until Jesus returns? Now, there's two stories that I said that Jesus relates to us. They're parables. They, uh, they, you can describe them this way. You can describe them as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Um, it literally has the word to, to cast alongside. Parabolos was a Greek word, to cast alongside. And it was like to cast alongside of a teaching to help shine some light on it or, or maybe sometimes to confuse people. Sometimes he did that to try to make people really dig for the truth. But the Here's the deal. He uses these two stories, and guess what he talks about? 
Weddings. He talks about marriage. Look at Matthew 25. If you want to follow along, you can follow along on the screen or you can turn to Matthew 25 in your Bible, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to go through these really quick. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, just in case you uh, haven't ever read about some of these older marriages, okay, this is like oil lamps, right? Oil lamps, and they go. And weddings back then were not a lot like weddings now. It was a big, long event. Sometimes it it could be days, sometimes it could be weeks, and so they didn't know exactly when this bridegroom was going to arrive, and so these bridesmaids, uh, they all are out there, they've got their lamps, and they're waiting, but it says here in verse 2, a very important, important, important fact, five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused uh, by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridegroom, our bridesmaids, got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. That's kind of harsh sounding, right? But it's a different time, a different culture. And so they're out there, and you know, you don't know if somebody's going to be waiting outside of your little walled compound or your walled city or your walled fortress or your mansion or whatever you're in, or even your little humble house. You don't know if somebody's going to be waiting outside for you to open that door and what? come rushing in. They might be using these bridesmaids as just, you know, a ploy, or they might not, you know, it might not be them at all. And so once you're, uh, once you're not there and you're locked outside, hey, you're outside for the night. And so the first principle that I think Jesus is trying to teach us is this, live ready for Christ's return. That, and, and for some of us, we're like, I had to get up early for this. <laughs> But a lot of people in the religious world don't grasp this simple concept. Many times people want to make things a lot more difficult than they really are. If you want to get an argument started amongst religious church people, you start talking about what your view of the end times is. Just like pull that pin, lob it into the middle, boom, walk away like the movies. You know? Explosion behind you. I mean, they I mean there's all kinds of post-trib, pre-trib, ah, millennial, blah, blah, blah. I like to tell people I'm pan-millennial. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. Yeah. I, mean, that's, I mean, that's honestly, it's all going to work out. Jesus is coming back, and that's the main thing you need to worry about. That's the main thing I need to worry about. But we make it a lot more difficult, and people get worked up. If you were around or grew up in the 90s, man, you were freaking out because they had those left-behind books that were making up stuff about all kinds of stuff. I mean, Disney's like, man, that's kind of out of pocket. You know what I mean? They're like, that's, you're like creative, man, creative. And it's like, hey, they're just making up all these things, and people are getting upset and worried about all this and this, worried about all that. But that's the truth that I want you to walk out of here with is live ready for Christ's return. 
Just live ready. At any moment, he could return, so live ready. Some people try to make it complicated, as we said. You know, even in the scripture, there were people called Gnostics, and John wrote a lot about them in his last three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And they wanted to be the really knowledgeable people. And that's the problem, is sometimes people look so deeply into scripture that they miss the simple truths that God's trying to teach them, because they want to be the smartest person in the room. It's a pride thing. It's a lack of humility. And so they really get caught up, and they, they're still around. A lot of people want to be the smartest person in the room. Here's the thing. We're actually told not to try to predict his coming, aren't we? Jesus spent a lot of time because people are always wanting to know, give us the sign, give us the time, tell us, is this when it's going to happen? And he's like, he's like, I don't even know at that point. He's like, at that point, Jesus didn't even know. So you think that you're going to like take the book of Daniel and shine a flashlight through it and squint really hard, and you're going to find and figure out, ah, this is the time. It's crazy, but so many people do that. People actually get wealthy doing that, believe it or not. Here's the thing. The problem with trying to figure out the date and the time of when Jesus is coming back is it leads more to a countdown to start living ready. Yeah? Now, hear me out. There are people that could be like, well, if this happens, then okay, I know it's time to get serious about the Lord. So there's people like that, that don't live for the Lord, and they're like, okay, if this sign happens, or this or that happens, then I'll start getting serious. But even if you're like a godly person, there's still a little bit of not getting ready. Because if you spend so much time trying to do the math on when Jesus is coming back, guess what you're not doing? You're not telling a lot of people who don't know Jesus that Jesus is coming back. Because the people that don't know Jesus ain't listening to all that garbage. They ain't worried about all that. They don't even believe he's coming back. And so our job is to not worry about when. It's just to know that he is and tell everybody that he is. And that they can be in on the party. And I love that old saying. I've used it many times and I'm not the first one to create it. But they said, we are not on the planning committee. We're just on the welcoming committee. We don't have to plan Jesus' second coming. He's got that taken care of. We're just on the welcoming committee. We need to be welcoming him. We need to have other people ready to do that. It can be any time. So here's the, the real question. Here's the real question. What do I do to be ready? Because it's easy for you know, somebody to say, well, be ready. Uh, okay, how? <laughs> how do I get ready? Well, there's another parable that Jesus told. Matthew 22. You skip a few chapters back in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 1. It says, And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Then again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Woo, that's a fun story, right? <laughs> but there's the, uh, the truth that you got to grasp, is that many people reject the invitation to the wedding. 
And in case you didn't know, in case you didn't catch it, I think you all did, but I want to make sure we all got it. The wedding is the invitation to be a part of God's family, is to accept Jesus. He's the bridegroom that the wedding has been from. He's the bridegroom, and we're the bride as the church, and the invitation is out there for all of us, but most people were rejected. Now, there's an original, many times in a parable or a prophecy, there's an original meaning, and then there's some things that we can apply and learn from. The original idea here is that the Jews, God's people, rejected Jesus, the Messiah that they've been waiting for. But there's also us now that can reject Jesus who hopefully we know is the Messiah. And we've got to accept him. So here's the thing. Why did they reject? Some ignored because they were too busy. Some were too busy. Some just ignored it. They just did not have time to care, didn't want to care, and didn't listen to anything. And then some were against the coming of the bridegroom. Right? They didn't want to have part of his wedding feast. They didn't want any of it. And so they killed the messengers. Look at verse 8. It says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. That Greek word that is translated worthy is a Greek word, axios. And it has the idea of being weighed and found lacking. It doesn't have the same weight as something that it's supposed to be equal in value and weight to. Think of like gold. You know, it's, it could be uh, you're, you're trying to measure gold and it doesn't measure up to how much it's supposed to be. I think about a movie. Do you guys ever see the movie A Knight's Tale? came out years ago. It's a neat movie. Uh, it combines modern and, and ancient times, you know, and it's always like stuff like that. But there's a scene where the knight is not really a knight. He's not from a royal bloodline or anything, doesn't have a pedigree, but he tricks everybody into thinking he's a knight, and he gets involved in all the jousting and all that sort of stuff. But a real uh, lord, if you will, um, has his doubts about him, and so he beats him early on, and he stands over top of him, and here's what he says. You have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. And later on, he gets to say that to him when he beats him. Good story. But the truth is, is that we don't measure up, do we? We don't measure up. We don't weigh right. We're not, we've been weighed, we've been measured, and we've been found wanting. But these people, here's the truth. They neglected and rejected themselves. They were not told, you're not worthy. Their choice to not come made them what? Not worthy. I lost you, right? Y'all with me? Verse 9, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And I love this part of the story. Y'all stick with me if I lost you there. Okay, you back with me? Here's what I want you to get. Everybody is invited. Before, it might have been people who were of a certain prestige, and they rejected it. But now he says, go and invite who? Everybody, guess what? You and me would have been getting an invitation. You know, some of y'all might be uppity and y'all might have some good stuff, but most of us don't, you know? And we would have not been on the first set of invitations, but praise God, anybody and everybody was invited the second time. Everybody was invited. It doesn't matter about your qualifications. It don't matter about your lack thereof. It doesn't matter about your pedigree, your family history. It doesn't matter about any of that. Everybody can come to Jesus. Everybody, every single person, you simply have to accept the invitation. That's all it is. So here's two quick ways for you to be ready. 
be an acceptor. I know that's not really a real word, but I want you to pretend it is for today. Be an acceptor. Be somebody who's willing to accept the invitation. And that may sound simple, but it's so easy to miss sometimes. Continually accept Jesus on his terms. We talk about that a lot, about God's word and God's word alone is what we need to have a relationship with God. So accept God on his terms, his word, his truth. Just come. You don't know how many people I've talked to that would not come to church or didn't think they could come back to church when they've been away because they think there's no way God will ever accept me. I'm too messed up. I've made too many mistakes. It's lies. It's false. It is untrue. Jesus accepts anybody who will come, who will come. And so accept him. And we also need to understand this. Not only do we need to accept Jesus, be an acceptor, we need to be an inviter. We need to be an inviter. We need to be a servant who invites other people. That's what we need to do. Everyone should get an invitation. Every single person, no matter what they look like, no matter how they act, no matter how they dress, no matter how they smell, if we get an opportunity to rub elbows with people and have an interaction with people, if we get enough time, there should be an invitation extended to them. And I believe, especially as people who love Jesus and try to follow Jesus, we sometimes get our role confused. We try to, we get confused with the fact we think we should be the Holy Spirit's role. We really do. We think we should do the Holy Spirit's role, that we've got to be the one to convict people, that we've got to be the one to make sure we point out all their flaws and all their faults and get all their stuff straight. But you know what? If that had happened to us, we probably wouldn't be here. If somebody had played the Holy Spirit's role besides the Holy Spirit, then we probably wouldn't be here ourselves. We want to be the convictor. We want to be the bouncer. You know, We want to decide who gets to come in and who doesn't. That, that person's too messed up. There's no way I'm not going to let them in. That's not my job. That's not your job. We're not even the persuaders. How many of us have been guilty of trying to be the persuader? That's the Holy Spirit's role. We're not the conscience. We're not little Jiminy Cricket Holy Spirit sitting on their shoulder. Ah, you shouldn't do that. Now, we can tell truth. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't ever speak up about truth and speak about righteousness. Yeah, we do that. But we're not to be the ones to do the convicting. We're not the, if we speak the truth of God's word, Holy Spirit can do the convicting. All we can do is simply extend and offer the message. Be an inviter. The Holy Spirit can do the convicting, the persuading, but here's the beautiful thing. If I do my job, if you, you do your job, then he, the Holy Spirit, can do his job so much better. So invite people to church. Learn to invite them to Jesus too. A lot of people you know, frown on saying just invite people to church. That's a great first step. That's a great first step. When Jesus was coming on the scene, you know, you see the guy, he just says, I, I've met the one that they've been talking about. And they're like, where is he from? He's from Nazareth. Oh, how can anything good come from Nazareth? He said, come and see. Come and see. And so he says, come and see. That's all you got to do. But you should learn God's word to be able to share the truth of God's word with him. But start inviting him to church. You don't have to earn an invite to the wedding. Nobody does. You don't have to be good enough or from the right family. Your past doesn't matter. Nobody's past matters. Do you hear me? But there's one huge thing that we got to think about to live ready. Look at the verse 11 beginning there. 
It says, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Here's what I want you to get. This is the last thing. Anyone is welcome. He said, good or bad, it doesn't matter, good or bad. Nobody deserves it, but there are standards. There are standards. There are conditions. And you might be thinking, well, you're kind of arguing yourself. No, he's very clear here. You just have to have the right wedding clothes on. That's what he tells us from this parable. You see, in that time, many kings or wealthy people would often provide the guests to the wedding with new sets of clothes to wear to the wedding. And you were expected to wear these nice sets of clothes to that wedding if you were invited. But what happened in this story, this parable, is that everybody had the chance to have the right clothes on, but this one person willfully rejected the wedding clothes. And so when the king is coming through, he's like, what? how'd you get in here looking like that? Because you would not have gotten past the people at the door without being offered wedding clothes. So how did you get here? He outright rejected them. So how do we get these right wedding clothes? Does it matter what clothes we wear? No, he's not talking about physical clothes. Look at Isaiah 64, verse 6 really quick. It says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now, if you've heard me teach about this before, you've heard what that word filthy rags is talking about, but I'm not going to go into a lot of detail right now. If you want to know later as an adult, you can ask me. A lot of kids in here. But just get the point. Your best things you do are gross in the sight of God. That's the thing you need to get. That's the lesson you need to learn. The best things you can do are not good enough for God. Everybody get that? So that's a problem. So our clothes, our righteous clothes that we put on are like filthy rags. Look at Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult or rejoice in God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So it says God gives us these robes of righteousness, these garments of salvation. And so if our good deeds are gross, that's scary, right? But God gives us these robes of salvation. So our question should automatically be, how do I get these robes of salvation? How do I get these garments of salvation, these robes of righteousness? I love God. His mind, he has everything planned out. And here's what he says in Galatians 3.27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You get the garments of salvation. You're clothed in Jesus, his righteousness, when you're baptized into Christ because of your faith in him. That's the beautiful time and moment when you are baptized into Jesus. You're clothed in Jesus. His righteousness is what God sees at that point. And I'm here to tell y'all. That is the best news that you can hear because my good deeds, your good deeds, all the things you've done, good and bad, are nothing when God looks at him. He's like, I can't, you can't be in my presence because you've sinned. But when he looks at you and he sees Jesus, his righteousness covering you, he says, come on in. Come on in. Welcome to the party. Welcome to the wedding. Better yet, welcome to the family. So when you're baptized into Christ, You're clothed in Jesus. 
He and his righteousness are your garments of salvation. And you don't want to be found in your righteousness because it's what? Filthy rags. So the question is, have you been baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive his Holy Spirit that we heard Max speak about so well? Are you an acceptor? Who are you inviting? Have you accepted his grace and his goodness, his righteousness? Here's the last thing I want you to think about as we get ready to leave. If you don't have a resolution, here's, here's a good one. I want you to think of five people who need to be invited to Jesus. And focus on them this year. Start praying about them. Make your top five. And then if you make it even simple or, or just do one, I, that's okay. Find your one. And when we talk about your one here at our church, we haven't talked about it in a while. When we talk about praying for your one, we're talking about one person that you want to win to Christ and one opportunity every day for God to say, here's an opportunity to share my love just with a stranger or, or somebody you run in contact with. One opportunity every day and one person you want to see come to Christ. Make your top five, have your top one, pray for them, pray, 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 and start inviting. One person you want to win to Christ and one opportunity every day to share Jesus. Are you an acceptor? Are you an inviter? Let's make this next year better than any year before because Jesus could come back at any moment. Are we ready? Let's stand, let's sing. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.